couple of weeks possibly. It's going to be Psalm 30. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. And uh, as we get into this this evening, I'm going to ask each and every one of you, you can read from the screen, you're fine. If you have it with you, that's fine as well. Uh, but just, uh, guys, we're going to look at this focus and what this particular topic that I want us to see uh, really and truly deep inside of my heart. I pray that it does to you what it has done to me just over the last several months. And uh, again, ultimately, guys, we want to see us to see a difference made in people's life, okay? Both eternally and temporally, both of those things together. So in Psalm 30 and verse 1, the Bible says, I will extol thee, O Lord. Thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. Uh, he says, uh, O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks in the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy cometh in the morning. Joy is defined by our modern dictionaries today as, as a, a state or, of great pleasure or happiness. But joy is never locked into happiness, guys. It's never, it's a, happiness is a byproduct of joy. You guys have heard me say this for years on end. Happiness is a result of what is happening. But joy is a whole different animal in and of itself. Happiness can be uh, a byproduct of joy, but the two don't always coincide one with another. Joy can be present in your life when happiness is absent. In the past, it was popular to take joy and kind of define it with this acronym known as Jesus, others, and yourself, meaning that if you put Jesus first and then others second and then yourself last, there'll be joy in your life. And I get that. I understand that. Uh, that that's, that's basically a principle that, that I try to live by. I want to make sure that, that I esteem others better than myself. That is the Bible teaching. That is a Christian teaching to love others and do all these different things. However, that whole little acronym there, that little teaching, that, that joy, uh, if you teach it like that, that gives people the idea, becomes problematic. It gives the idea that you are the holder of joy, that you can dictate joy in your life simply by putting others before yourself, denying yourself, if you will. And that becomes very problematic in the person's life or in the Christian's life. You see, joy is a beautiful thing, guys. It doesn't come from what I do. Joy does not come from what I have done. Joy is not finding validation through the social cosmos or, 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 or um, uh, the depths of the social media, uh, social media construct today. Joy is silent confidence resulting in the ultimate trust and dependence in something larger than yourself. Joy is finding your identity beyond systematic humanism. Joy is a, is a result of an unwavering faith in a God that you cannot understand but choose to have by faith to believe. This is where joy comes from. This is why when we look at our verse here in, uh, in, um, in, in, in Psalm 30 and verse uh, 5, that it simply says there, it says, For his anger endureth but a moment, and in his favor his life weeping may endure for a night. But the Bible tells us that joy cometh in the morning. What morning? We're going to get into all of this this evening as to where joy comes from. We can turn those if you want. Our theme, and I pray your mission statement for the next 12 months and beyond will be found in these words. Joy cometh in the morning. Written in doubly upon your heart and residing within your mind daily, not only laying and fortifying the foundation that we live through every day, but something that we thrive in every single moment of our life. That joy 
that central piece, that identification of who and what you are. Thank you so much. Boy, that's a beautiful picture. So this year, I want to be identified as joy. I want to have joy in my heart. I want you to see joy that is there, even when things, now you understand. <laughs> joy in the morning. Thank you, sweetheart. Ta-da, the big unveiling. So this year, guys, with joy at the central stage, despite circumstances, joy cometh in the morning. This month, in spite of who may reject you or turn from you or ignore you, your heart's focus is that joy cometh in the morning. This coming week, guys, with life, when it begins to take its toil and the, and, and the battery ram forges onward, and your mind will remain disciplined upon this truth, joy cometh in the morning. Within the day's 24 hours, the ups and the downs, the lows and the highs, uh, uh, the known and unsuspected turn of events that are going to come into your life, allow this truth, as the sun rises in your heart, allow this truth to reside in you. Joy cometh in the morning. The truth is happiness is a result, again, of what happens. It is circumstantial to say the least. But joy is rooted and grounded in what has already happened. Joy is the placing of your unfeigned faith in the eternal, namely the eternal one who loved you and I so much. In spite of our rejection, he still was willing to come, become sin for us, nail it to a cross, and say this, it is finished. You know the beautiful part about that, when that final thing that Jesus Christ began to say, he says, behold, he gave up the ghost, we understand that, that he, he gave his spirit over unto the Father. When he said that it is finished, guys, a new beginning arose. And joy, my friend, is a joy which brings peace. It's a peace in our life that the Apostle Paul spoke about in Philippians chapter 4, saying this, Be careful of nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then he says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now think about that, that last segment right there. The peace of God, which passeth all understand it. Do you know what that simply means? It means what it says. It says what it means. You can't understand the peace that is there. You can't understand when somebody has joy in your life and everything seemingly is, is just going not the way they would want it to, that there isn't happiness. There's sadness. There's mourning. There's aches. There's pains. There's discomfort. But yet present within that rising sun inside their heart is this unspeakable joy that comes from your faith in the eternal. No, it's not going to change the circumstances. No, it's not going to change sadness to happiness. But it's going to bring a joy in your life. Something that you can look forward to in the morning. You say, can you understand it? No, because it's the peace of God which passeth understanding. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered how some people carry loads just a little bit better than others? You ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered how some people can, can come alongside and, and jump into that yoke with a hundred different souls, many of them in the darkest moments of their life, and yet continue to move forward with this light of joy in their life? Beloved, it, it's just because people carry something well doesn't mean the load is, is light. What it means is there's joy within their heart, even though the burden is bearing there's joy within their heart, and it is a joy which only comes 
with a faith and dependence in something greater, bigger, stronger, and better than themselves. I was always the youngest, and this tide has shifted so greatly, but I was always the youngest person in class. Now I'm the oldest, but anyway. I was always the youngest person. I was the youngest boy in our graduating class. I was the second youngest uh, student in our graduating class in high school. I was the youngest guy on our team when I went to college, went away to university. But what that did is it always placed me working out with people who were a year or two years older than me. They were a grade or two years greater than me, and they were always stronger than me, and that's what I wanted. I always trained with people that could lift more than I did. And the reason being I did that is I learned it from my dad. Because, you know, if you settle with working out over here, you're never going to get better. If you get in there with the big boys, you're just going to have to suck it up and do it. And it's been like that since I was five years old. I was always with older guys and always training and working against the grind and working against the grain. And I did that because I knew those stronger guys would push me. They would drive me to become better, become bigger, become stronger, become faster. And they would do those things. And when I would start to outlift them, I would go and find somebody stronger than us, recruit them, bring them into our crew. But I never forsook the mates that I started with. Beloved, this is what we talk about when we look at joy. You are putting your dependence and your trust in something better than you. Evaluate our own lives. Think about the mistakes and the bad decisions that we have made. All of us make those decisions. None of us are insusceptible to making a bad choice or a bad decision or just a simple mistake, an accident. And there's a difference, by the way, between an accident and an incident, okay? An accident cannot be avoided. It's gonna, there's nothing you could have done about it. An incident is a result of someone's bad choice. There, there's a difference between the two. Sometimes we make bad choices and then we blame the results on an accident and it was just a bad choice we made. Joy has the same presence as that stronger person in your circle. It's contagious. It's questionable at times while it's remaining attractive. There's an illuminating quality about joy, often misunderstood, but there's something that is there. Joy in the believer's life is rooted in the eternal gift of salvation, which is given free, a free will choice, by placing your faith in the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is that simple. It's not easy, but it is that simple. The day I showed up to that church at 19 years old, 268 some odd pounds, just finished working out with my mate, went inside that office. I didn't, I didn't expect what was to happen that day. But when that, when that choice was given to me and I knew that I was standing at the crossroads of eternity at that moment, I knew the life that I was living, I could be snuffed out at any given time. Blink of an eye, the turn of a head, didn't hear somebody coming up, whatever it may have been, I could have been, my life could have been over. And for you've heard me tell you this, but for some strange reason, as, as Dr. Jim Ellis was, was witnessing to me that day across that table, I looked over my right shoulder as if it was to look in the depths of hell and to understand that is where you're heading to, son. No matter how big you are, how strong you are, how fast you are, you're not going to outrun it, but this is the day that you can make a choice on the right crossroads. And joy can be in your life. I can't tell you that there's been happiness in my life. Uh, that I went through some dark times, some of the darkest times that you can even imagine. But I am here to tell you now, somewhere along that line, there was always that glimmer of hope, that glimmer of joy. Because it's the joy that will come in the morning. And that's where you keep your focus. 
This is the joy, guys, that comes in the morning. It brings us back to what we're going to refer to as the pretext of our text verse in verse 5. Why will joy come in the morning? How come you can have joy in your life even when happiness is absent? So we go back to the pretext. We go back to Psalm 30, verses 1 through 3. This is the, uh, the three verses that open up the text. And the Bible says, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, and I, that I should not go down to the pit. Now, the psalmist here that we find in this scripture, the psalmist here is David. This is King David. And, and what happens is there's five things that, that, God, that, that David says that God has done for him, okay? And in these five things, we find that there's a New Testament principle that we can apply in our life. All five of these things. He says that he's lifted him up. That's verse one. He has not allowed his foes to rejoice over him. Uh, he has been healed. He has been given physical life as well as life in his soul. That's verse three. And then finally in verse three, the fifth thing, he has kept him from going to hell. Verse three. Now there's qualifying clauses on, on points two and point three. And often we'll find in our life, as the old poet says, thy foes will rejoice when my sorrow they see and smile of the tears I have shed. We understand that there's going to be people out there, they are your enemies. Everybody's not going to be your friend. Everyone's not going to love you and like you. Everyone's not going to just be, you know, kicks and giggles, don't want to be around you. And that's just, that's called life, amen. Can I say this to you here this evening and make it very, very clear? If someone doesn't like you, that's okay. If you've done something silly to upset them, go make it right. If you've done nothing at all to upset them and they still don't like you, the Bible says as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably as best as you can, but don't lose an ounce of sleep over it. Not a drop. You just do the right thing. So we find here is, is that we understand that there are going to be those that are going to have that are going to be your foe. And the adversaries of the church of Philippi is a great answer. It's a, it's a great example in New Testament principle that we find here with the psalmist as well. So the church of Philippi, we find that the adversaries of the church of Philippi were rejoicing over the persecution of the saints. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 28, the Bible says here, and this is Paul writing, he's writing from a prison house in Rome, he says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. So you had those that were, that were rejoicing over the persecution of saints in the early church, as you do today. As Paul's enemies rejoiced and, and seemingly received blessings that he was incarcerated we find Paul writes in the same chapter, Philippians chapter 1, watch this. He says, some indeed preach Christ. Now I want you to watch this. Some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. So you got a group over here, no, 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 nothing directed, a group over here that's preaching Christ out of contention, they're preaching Christ out of strife and envy, and then you got a group over here, they're preaching it out of goodwill, Okay. Verse 16 says, the one preached Christ out of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bond. So in other words, they're over here preaching the death, burial, and, and uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're preaching the gospel, but in doing so, they're rejoicing over the fact that Paul got thrown in prison because of envy. Paul was the man. I mean, Paul was the man, you know, right? He's the hero outside of Jesus Christ. He's the hero of the New Testament, yeah? And so, we, you know, but these people said, we want the spotlight. We want the preeminence. We don't want Paul getting the preeminence. So they're preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved. 
But they keep throwing in, Paul got what he deserved. Paul got too big for his britches. Paul was this, Paul was that. And then you got this other group over here. Uh, he, he, says, um, uh, he says, verse 17, but, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospels. Paul's in prison, all right? But notice his response to the two different groups. These are preaching Christ out of love. They're preaching Christ the way Paul was. They know that Paul is defending the gospel uh, by faith. And this, pre this group over here, they're preaching out of contention and envy and strife. And we all know people like that. Uh, but they're preaching the gospel, okay? Now, in our mind, the first thing we want to do is we want to bow up and go over here and box these people into teeth, okay? Because they're talking bad about Paul. And they're preaching out of envy and strife and contention, but watch what Paul says. Verse 18, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or truth, pretense or truth, Christ is preached. And I there and do rejoice, yea, well, I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Think about this. You have a group falsely accusing Paul, preaching the gospel, but using him as an example of them doing something wrong. And then you got a group doing everything right. And Paul looks at them equally and says, the gospel's preached. So what? They think they're going to add more, more to my bonds? I don't care. Just preach the gospel so souls can be saved. Preach the gospel so lives can be changed. Preach the gospel so families can be put in order. Preach the gospel so governments can do right. Preach the gospel. I don't care what they say about me. You say, how in the world can someone do that? I mean, you, you want to defend yourself. That's the first thing you want to do. Paul says, nevertheless, Christ is preached. You know how he does that? It ain't happiness. Remember, that dude's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be too happy about that. But he had joy. He had joy. Remember, the, the letter to the Philippians is Paul's joy letter. How did he open up? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. The word and the phrase joy and rejoice and rejoicing appears more times in that letter than any other letter that he writes. Not one rebuke in the letter to the Philippian church. Joy. Simple joy. Paul's focus was upon Christ in the eternal. Paul's focus was on, pay attention here, the morning and not the circumstances. Paul's focus was on the sunrise the next day and not the situation at hand. A quite trying situation, if you mind. So I want you to see this, guys. This is the joy, and this is where joy comes from, because there will be a morning, which is beyond these days. There will be a morning beyond these hours, beyond these moments, beyond these minutes of our life. And when our life resides in the eternal, when it resides in that morning that is yet to come, joy is in the present. Watch this. There's joy in the morning because the Lord has ultimately lifted us up above defeat. Above defeat. I will extol thee, O Lord. For thou hast lifted me up and hast, made, hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. Now, guys, I, I don't know anybody in their right mind who wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to lose. No one wants to be a loser. Everybody wants to win. No one wants to be second place. I don't care what the Blue Ribbon Society says. I, man, I, yeah, I'm not going to park there tonight. But anyway, it doesn't matter what they say. Everybody wants to be a winner. And I'm here to tell you tonight, as a child of God, we have been lifted up above defeat. 
Time and time again last year, I hit these verses we're about to look at about victory in the Christian life, victory in our life. Despite circumstances, despite situations, victory is what victory is. Romans 8, 37, nay in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors. 1 John 5, 4, for whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, the victory, man, the winner. 1 Corinthians 15 says in verses 54 through 57, uh, so when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass uh, the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the verse we hit? Who always giveth us the victory. Didn't we go over what words mean? Words mean exactly what they say. If it says always the victory, then we always have the victory. You say, but preacher, I've lost here. I've hurt here. I've had un unhappiness here. That doesn't mean you're defeated. And mind you guys, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, you know, my soul, we need to recognize that we are not defeated in this life. And we need to stop running around like somebody's kicked our favorite cat and took away our, our dog. We need to get our head up high, grow a backbone, take a stand on what is right, and live in victory and have joy in our life despite situations that happen. It doesn't mean you're not going to get upset. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be sad. Guys, we're not talking about an emotionless, uh, cat uh, you, know, uh, you know, just a catatonic state. As you, that's not what it is. But it's this unseen, unknowing belief in this joy, knowing what is coming in the morning, where that victory resides. We are more than conquerors. We can hammer through this life thriving rather than just surviving. You can do it, guys. God told Joshua more than once. He says over there, he says, be strong and of good courage. Guys, I'm just telling you, it's time that we be strong in the faith that we have. Take that stand and not allow this world to win in the areas of our life. When your faith is in the rock-solid foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be strong and of good courage. You do have the victory. You have overcome the world. You are more than conquerors. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world today. Good night, man. We need to stand up. Be strong in the Lord. This is where joy comes from. And this is the joy that I want in my life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 tells us this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. What's that next word? Unmovable. Unmovable. Always abound into the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Unmovable. Well, preacher, I just don't see the outcome that, uh, that I want in my life. And I've invited this many people to church, and I've given this many tracts out, and I've read, read my Bible this many times, and I've said this many prayers. Let me go ahead and tell you this. Keep inviting, keep witnessing, keep giving tracts, keep reading, keep praying. You just keep moving and be unmovable, because what's going to move you in your life? Away from the only one that's going to give you joy. And that's the question. You need, to add, you need to recognize that. What's going to keep you out of church? What's going to keep you away from your Bible? What's going to keep you out of prayer? What's going to keep you from falling off the wagon? Whatever it may be in your life. But if you abound, unmovable. It's no different in everything in our life, guys. I want you to just stop for a second. I know we have the spiritual, we're taking the spiritual application into this and we understand, but all of this transfers into everyday life and it's called simple discipline. What's gonna, what's gonna knock you off your diet? Is it, gonna be, is it gonna be relatives coming over? What's gonna knock you off what you said you ain't gonna do this year? 
What's going to cause you to go drink out there? The culture? I don't care about the culture. I don't care if I was in the wicked. It's the most darkest culture in the world. There ain't nobody tough enough out there that's going to make me willingly drink. They may hold me down and pour it in me, okay? But I want you to be unmovable. That's where the joy is going to reside. That's where if you would just take that and trust that and apply that, that joy will begin to bubble up in your life. It'll be seen. It'll be contagious. It'll be a desiring uh, entity in your life that people will want. Amen. It'll be misunderstood. They just can't quite figure it out. But it'll be present. He's lifted us up above defeat. Guys, if there's any point tonight, we have two quick more points and we're done. But if there's any point that you grab a hold of this evening, please grab a hold of this. You are not defeated. So let's live like that, and joy cometh in the morning. Not only are we not defeated, guys, but he's lifted us up far above disease as well. In verse 2, the Bible tells us there in, in Psalm 30, O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. Now, guys, you may not have gotten a, a physical healing at salvation. That's not what this is a reference of, all right? You, you know, you may not have gotten uh, some type of physical healing. You may not have got a ruined liver back or a gallbladder. But as a child of God, you can have joy over the fact that you have been spiritually healed. Spiritually healed. Ephesians chapter 2, again, a New Testament principle that is applied to Psalm 30. Paul says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his uh, great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in, in sin and have, have quickened us together in Christ, by grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So not only are we healed now spiritually, okay? We can look at some morning in the future. I don't know when it's going to be. But that morning that we can have our, that gives us joy that we know soon one day we'll be healed physically as well. Romans chapter 8 tells us this in verses 18 and 22, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. What does that corruption mean? Remember we read in 1 Corinthians 15, for the corruptible shall put on incorruption and the mortal shall put on immortality. There's coming a morning, there's coming a time when the bride of Christ, when the church of God, those that are saved and born again, shall be transformed into a new creature, okay? Now, we're not going to take a trip down that and, and, and what is yet to come and speak about that appearance of Christ in the air tonight, but that's what he's talking about. There is going to come a day when this life is over with, okay? When your heart beats for the final time, the last breath you take, and your eyes close for the last time in this life, that you're going to open them up in glory, and this corruptible, this is what his corruption is. This, the moment you were conceived, this body started growing, and as soon as you came out of the womb, it started growing to die, okay? That's the way it is. We lose, I forgot what the numbers are. Um, I'd gross you out if I come up with it, but anyway, uh, I forgot what the numbers are, how many epithelial cells are inside our beds, actually. And if you saw the numbers, you'd probably buy a new bed every month, amen? Uh, epithelials are your, your skin cells, Okay? 
Why? Because the skin cells die and they fall off. It's part of life. This is the corruptible body. As soon as the heart stops beating and the blood starts pumping for the life of the flesh is in the blood, this thing begins to what? Decay. But there's coming a day. It's going to be incorruptible. It'll be a new body. All those aches and pains, all that doms, all that stuff, it's gone. Amen. I can't wait for that, boy, I tell you. I was crawling up on the platform this morning trying to work these banners in the other church, and uh, there, there was a moment, Hannah, I kid you not, I said, man, I'm getting too old for this, man. One of these young bucks need to crawl up in this stage and get up there and start moving these things around. And, uh, but nonetheless, so lastly here this evening, guys, we have been lifted up above defeat. We have been lifted up above disease. But beloved, we have been lifted up. We can have joy tonight. We've been lifted up above death. Verse 3 tells us in Psalm 30, O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Referring back to Ephesians 2, that where we just left, just two verses real quick. Chapter 2, verses 1 and verse 5. It says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and even when we were dead, verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. That word quicken means to bring to life. A revival is bringing something back to life that was once living. Quicken is bringing something dead to life. We've been lifted up above that death. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Our sin gave us a death mark. It gave us a death certificate. It had us sealed and on the way to a devil's hell. That's where we were. We were dead spiritually, and we were going to soon be dead physically. But there became a time when you put your faith in Christ Jesus that he quickened you back unto life. Just like Christ said to Nicodemus there in John 3, 3, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of course, we know the conversation that he had in John 3. How can a, how can a man be born again? Shall he go back into his mother's womb, etc., etc.? And Jesus made it very simple. Except he be born of water and born of spirit. That water is the breaking of water. That's a physical birth. But being born again is a spiritual birth. And that's where you've been lifted up above death. That's where you've been saved, if you will. The born again is a spiritual birth which enables us to escape. Listen carefully, we're almost finished. Escape a spiritual death. Revelation 20 verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death, watch this, hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. No power. There's a death coming to the lost souls in this world today that is called the second death. There's a physical death in your flesh, and there's a spiritual death in eternity. But those that have been born again, he has lifted you up above death. He has lifted us up, and he has removed the power of the second death. So, beloved, if you want happiness for an hour in your life, you know what? Take a good nap. Take a nap. If you want happiness, take a nap. If you want happiness in an afternoon, eat a steak, okay? Eat, matter of fact, eat a big one kilo tomahawk steak. That'll bring, make you really happy. Actually, matter of fact, you have the steak, and then you probably take the nap, all right? So it's a double happiness. If you want happiness for a weekend, get a hobby. Walk your dog. Go play golf. Work out. But if you want joy, if you want joy, the peace of path of all understanding. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
for eternal life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Will you bow your heads this evening? Father, thank you, Lord, for this time and opportunity tonight. I pray that you take your words, rest it upon our hearts and our minds, our souls. Father, help us, dear God, engage in that joy that you have placed before us, that you have given us here this evening. And Lord, as we take this first step into this new year, this first Sunday of 2024, I pray that we would buy into this theme, that we would buy into that residing joy placing our faith and dependence in the eternal, one bigger and stronger and better than ourselves. And in all that we do, I pray, let us bring glory and honor to the name of Christ. Father, touch the souls that are here this evening. Touch those who are watching online. And I pray, dear God, that you bring them to the crossroads just as you brought me on the 31st of December, 1990. Bring them to the crossroads, Father, for a decision to be made. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen and amen.